All right now, you're listening to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Bronin, just a fed-up taxpayer, bringing you all of your Texas local and national news. Welcome to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. I am Bronin, your host. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. Or if you are joining the program for the first time, 1,000 welcomes. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow. I am on Twitter, RTR underscore Bronin for my pithy tweets. Tell your friends, tell your family, listen to the Real Texas Radio Podcast. This is a special episode, so it's not necessarily topical what's going on in the news. I've been telling my listeners that during the Christmas, New Year's hiatus, that I would be pumping out additional new content when your favorite TV shows and radio programs and podcasts, etc. are going on their vacation, that I would have some extra content for you. So I want to talk about something today low-context cultures versus high-context cultures. Have you ever heard of these terms? Well, up until about a year and a half ago, I had never heard these terms either. And I may have told you, but I do a lot of writing, tutoring. It's been basically a side business that I have had for a number of years. And I've been tutoring since college consistently, So I'm a writing tutor, and it's an interesting job. I meet a lot of interesting people, different professions, students with different fields of study. And I came across these terms, low-context culture and high-context culture, while reading through a student paper. It turns out that a high-context culture is one where you need a lot of context, for lack of a better word. I don't mean Democrat word context. Well, maybe I do. But for example, Japan would be a high context culture. It's very difficult to break into that society unless you're born into it. There are a lot of rules, social governing structure. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of nuances in the language that make Japan a high-context culture. The society is known for being very orderly, respectful, particularly to elders, particularly to parents, particularly to the, the public transit system. In other words, there's not a bunch of homeless bums on the subway in Japan. It's not a mobile asylum. It's not a mobile homeless shelter. It's not a it, it's not a place that's littered with crime and vandalism and nonsense and foolishness, right? Are, are you getting a clearer sense of what a high context culture is? There's a lot of respect for the dead. Funerals are taken very seriously in high context cultures. Korea would be another example of a country with high context culture. India, China, many European nations, and off the top of my head, I don't know about other 
nations in, in the high context culture category. Before I totally understood what a high context culture was versus a low context culture, immediately, what do I do? I think of the United States. And I am reading through this paper, and the paper indicates that the United States is a low context culture. And in other words, the United States doesn't have a rich culture is is what I gathered from this paper. And so my initial impression of this concept, low context culture versus high context culture, was that here we have an America hating professor typical who is indoctrinating her students to become rabid Democrats, to go out and vote for politicians who support open borders, and they hate taxpayers, particularly taxpayers who earn between fifty dollars and $150,000 per year. And th- that's basically what I understood to be going on reading this paper. But for some reason, this idea of low-context culture versus high-context culture, it has stayed in my mind ever since working with this student. My cousin, she came to visit me earlier in 2023, and she was born in the United States. She grew up in Ireland, and she has been back living in the United States for 10-plus years. She lives here now, works. But she travels home very often. Her mother lives there. She's got siblings there, a lot of other family, a lot of friends in Ireland. And both our fathers are brothers. My father's from Ireland. My grandfather's from Ireland. And Ireland, you might say, is a high-context culture. There are only about 5 million people who live on the island of Ireland, which is about the size of the state of Maine. And it's a it's a beautiful country. It is very safe. You could hitchhike there. It is a, a very traditional country in many ways. It's very much close-knit in, in the communities. Throughout Ireland, you'd know everybody in your community. You'd know the families going back generations. You'd know the businesses. You'd know the history of your town. The, uh, funerals are, are taken very seriously there. Not that they aren't taking taken seriously in the United States, but it's it's just a different level, I would say, in Ireland. The Catholicism, obviously, it's a very deeply Catholic country. The oldest fortress in Europe is actually situated in Ireland, or it ruins, if, if you didn't know that. So my cousin mentions that a this gentleman, he wouldn't really be a relation. He would be a relation by marriage who passed away. And it was an older guy, cancer, I believe, very sad. Do you know how many people showed up to his funeral in Ireland? 3,500 people. Okay, this man, he was not a television celebrity or anything like that, but he made a very strong impression in his community. He was very involved in local sports. There's a a huge culture around local sports, sports that are really only played inside of Ireland. He was very much into 
Irish language, Irish dance, uh, Irish music. And his passing marked a, a huge loss in the community. And 3,500 people showed up. And my cousin said, you know what? You know, I think she she plans to probably live out the, the rest of her working life anyway in the United States. But she said, these are the events that make me consider wanting to return home, move back to Ireland, and live there. I feel like I'm really missing out on this culture, on all of this tradition and heritage. The United States, what do you think? Is it a low context culture? Well, let me ask you some questions and we can do a bit of a test here. We can, we can test out to see whether the United States is a low context culture. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people who live next door to you, two houses down, three houses down, two blocks away? Or if you live in an apartment building or a condominium complex, do you know the people who adjoin walls or who live across the courtyard or who live down the hallway? Do you know these people? You know, I think once upon a time in America, probably everybody knew their neighbors. You you had a good sense of the people who were living around you. You knew the teacher or the teachers at the school. You knew all the kids in your class. You knew about their families. Their parents went to school with your parents and so on and so forth. I understand that back in the 1950s when there are people who they put on the rose-colored glasses and pretend that we were just a, a country full of unity and there were no problems. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I, I know I'm, I am well aware and I am not defending at all any of the, obviously, the racial hatred and tension and segregation and, and all of that abhorrent conduct that occurred in the 50s and going into the 60s and and later than that even but i am saying that people they generally knew the people around them right i think social norms were a lot stronger maybe you went to church you you knew everybody at church you knew the pastor you knew people who didn't go to church and look i'm not trying to come across as some evangelical proselytizer here. That's not the goal. But would you agree that even in the midst of all the the social media, which which if anything has just made us have less of a context in a culture? Do you know, I read a book by by a big Democrat, but the it was called, what is it? The, the Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Team of Rivals. The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Great book. I strongly recommend that you read it if you haven't read it. If you need a book this Christmas, New Year's, you're flying, you're traveling, get Team of Rivals. You will You will learn a lot about this country. But one of the comments that I remember, and this is no spoiler, I promise, but People who visited the U.S., something they observed was that everybody read a newspaper. Everybody read. K 
Can you imagine today or, or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, an observation about the citizens of the United States in the form of everybody read, everybody read, nobody reads anymore. No, nobody has a clue. Do you know something else? Team of rivals, obviously the, one of the big subjects covered when you're talking about Abraham Lincoln is the civil war. But did you know before the civil war, when obviously the only people who could vote were white men, 21 plus that voter turnout was, I think it was almost 80%. Maybe it, it might've been higher. This is before cars. This is before radio. This is before telephone. This is before before anything, before mass media. Well, newspapers, right? And all of these people figured out how to vote. One day, it was, election day was one day. And if it snowed, if there was a blizzard, if it was sunny, it didn't matter if it was raining, you had to walk, or I don't know, you took a horse. Where was the polling place? Was it close? I, I don't know the answer to that, but voter turnout in the 1860s or the 1850s was was 80% plus. Today, just look at the Houston mayoral election or look at a Dallas County municipal election in May when there's early voting, there's free Uber to the polling place, there's free DART to the polling place. The the actual fact is you live across the street from your polling place or you live within a few blocks and you can barely get 20,000 people to show up to vote for their city councilor. And you, you probably couldn't get 5,000 people in the city to even know who their city councilor is or the mayor or state rep or anything. Do, do, do you think, am I making sense? Does this pertain to a low context culture. I'll tell you something else that is germane to high context cultures, the political divisions, they're much lower, right? We know that every country basically has their version of the conservatives, the Democrat Republican divide. We know that every country basically, but the, the political divisions, obviously in the United States, they, they're consistently they're pretty strong, right? I know a lot of people, I don't think, really understand that the United States actually had a civil war, had there was a there was a confederacy that had its own president that printed its own currency, that the country was literally divided. Pardon me. I think there are people that they don't actually know that they don't, they have no idea that the country in the 1850s, 1860, was so divided that it literally actually did divide. And people pretend today that the division is worse than ever. There was almost a, it, it were heavy words were exchanged in the, what was it in the Senate or the, the Congress up on Capitol Hill, right? One of the legislators got into a heated exchange with who the, the president of the, Auto Workers 
union and and threaten to fight and pay, oh my god oh not in not in the in the capital oh my god oh it's it's unimaginable the conduct of the do you think that's the first time that a fight has been threatened i can tell you right now that legislators have been beaten within inches of their life inside of the capital on, on the senate floor by fellow members it occurred around the civil war so that happened so we we have been that divided before just in case you didn't know again read team of rivals i read it a number of years ago that's a book that sticks with me great 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 book i will say this though for our low context culture here in the united states do you know what we ended up in terms of the COVID hoax farce nonsense ultimately many of us we were able to reject the crap scene we knew the crap scene was a hoax that didn't protect anybody from anything we knew the masks were a hoax and they couldn't really enforce them here because we we have a constitution in the United States. So that that's our context here with the constitution which the Democrats try to obliterate constantly, but they certainly try to obliterate it around the hoax, farce, nonsense, scam, COVID. And th- these high context cultures there there was no ifs ands or buts if you were in Ireland. I don't think there were any ifs, ands, or buts if you were in Japan, if you were in South Korea, certainly if you were in China. We we know what was going on there. You're being welded inside of your building, the door welded shut so you couldn't leave. England, I don't know if you, maybe you could count England as a high context culture, perhaps, but the the freedoms, they collapse quickly in these countries very quickly it seems when when there is that kind of pressure that's put on them the namely the hoax farce nonsense scam and do you know what else do you know what else i think is a contributing factor aside from the constitution of the united states which is the most superior constitution probably ever scribed in the history of humanity. But we've got the Second Amendment. We are unique in that sense. Democrats, they can scream all day about the the alleged mass shootings that occur every single day while they ignore the fact that half of the gun deaths are suicide or more than half of all gun deaths are suicide. They refuse to acknowledge that. They also refuse to acknowledge that more than twice the amount of deaths, far more than double the amount of deaths than from guns are by cars and injuries exponentially greater. They don't want to talk about that. You don't have a constitutional right to a car. Democrats want to pretend that you do. Republicans also want to pretend that you do. You do have a constitutional right to a gun. Look, sorry, I don't mean to turn into Fox News here about the Second Amendment. I know that's that's going into gutter, lowest common denominator territory. But I am going to tell you that in our low context country here, the United States, that you don't think that Second Amendment plays a factor in why that Constitution can't be tightened up and modified. 
the fact that our politicians, as much as they disdain you, especially if you earn between fifty and one hundred fifty thousand dollars per year, and you're not a welfare case, that as much as they disdain you, they know that chances are you got a few guns, and that a few guns times. 300 million people, or how many adults in the U.S., I'm not sure, but 200 million adults, 150 million adults, or I I know there's a bit of a concentration uh, in terms of gun ownership probably in the southern states, in in the Republican states, the red states, but even, you know, I was just watching a Judge Judy episode. I admit it, I get sucked into Judge Judy. It was a gun case, this uh, guy who ended up, he was a felon. It seemed like he just made a dumb mistake when he was a kid. He, he wasn't a career felon or anything like that, but tried to buy a gun in California during the hoax. And the gun owner in Los Angeles, pardon me, the gun shop owner, said he was so busy. He was special ordering guns. He was selling 20 guns a day in California. I don't know. I, you know, I think about the, the school too. I'm from Boston. I grew up in Boston. If, if you don't know much about the city in the 1970s, the school system there was still segregated and a judge, Judge Garrity, who after this decision ended up needing a bodyguard for a number of years, Judge Garrity ordered the Boston public schools to desegregate and that led into the policy of busing. And so basically black kids from the poorest neighborhood of Boston were bused into the poorest, whitest neighborhood of Boston and vice versa. And they were basically race I don't I don't know if race riots is the term. The the uh, whites were the aggressors by far. They were perpetrating the vast majority of the violence on the black students. And the reality was nobody who was a student or a parent wanted busing. They just, they wanted better schools in their neighborhood. They wanted the city and the state and society to invest in good schools that didn't have crumbling buildings and outdated textbooks and, and, you know, teachers who weren't performing. That's really what it was about. But to this day, that busing policy that went into effect 50 years ago, still basically the system today. And if there is a, there was a elementary school, for example, on my street, on my street, and I couldn't have gone to that when I was a kid. I would have been thrown into a lottery. And at four years old, five years old, I had friends who were in this situation. They would put a four-year-old on a bus. This was their proposal. Putting a four-year-old kid on a school bus and shipping the kid across the city and then shipping them back home at the end of the day. That's That was one of the consequences of busing. You don't think that your kids should be going to the school in their neighborhood and that everybody in the school lives 
near the school and therefore the parents live near the school. And then you, you get to know the parents, you get to know the students, you get to know the teachers. Then the teachers are probably more likely to live in the neighborhood where the school is situated. You know, it's unfortunate. Obviously you look at the schools, not just Boston, Texas, look across the whole country. If you look at any school, the racial composition is probably, it's very single in terms of the racial composition, right? It's it's either going to be vast majority Asian, it's going to be vast majority Black, vast majority Black and Hispanic, vast majority white. There are not too many public schools in the country that are racially integrated. And for a for such a diverse country that the United States is, don't you think that's a shame? Don't you think that's a shame that we're not living together more integrated? I mean, that you know, I, I taught, I was a teacher. I taught in a pretty much all black school, and then I taught in a pretty much all Hispanic school. And there were there were very, very, very few other races in, in either of those schools. And if there was, then uh, honestly, there was a special circumstance. Typically, there was a there was a divorce. There was a poverty situation. There was a foster home or a group home situation. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed my discussion of low context cultures versus high context cultures, and hopefully, it was thought provoking. It was interesting. I'm Bronin. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Real Texas Radio podcast. Keep tuning in. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Uh, one final fact. You know that the Christmas season, officially, it starts on Christmas Day, and it's supposed to go till Little Christmas. January 6th, is that Little Christmas? And so the the weeks leading up to Christmas are not actually Christmas. All right. I'll save it for an, for another episode.